Straight Jack, episode 12. So each week we review three films, uh, all with the same theme. One new release, which sets the theme, and then uh, one post-2000 and one pre-2000 release. Uh, and this week the theme was maritime. Nautical, water, sea, ocean, river, lake, any other places H- of water. H- H- so my choice for the new release was Finding Dory. If you haven't seen Finding Nemo, then what are you doing with your life? Turn off now. Yeah. 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 Um, So Dory goes missing and it's up to Nemo and his father Marlon to track her down. She's on the hunt for her long lost parents and it's about the journey that she finds herself on discovering her past and her memories coming back to her. On this journey, is that yeah? This yeah, is I think simp- on said journey. It's as simple as that. It's, it, I mean, it's aimed at children, so it ha- they have to keep it simple, don't they? I, see, that's the thing. That's the thing we need to clarify. Is this aimed at kids? Well, it's interesting you ask that because I didn't see one kid in the screening I was in yesterday, and it was seven o'clock on a Monday night. Granted, but school holidays, and I assume it's just people who love the first. I went to a nine o'clock screening, and there were there were kids there I mean, oh really I mean very you know bad bad parenting if you ask me but um, <laughs> there were there were some sort of early teenagers not kid kids there was a, but, but there's quite a few mainly adults I want to say there's quite a lot of adult humour but it's not that kind of adult humour it's just jokes aimed towards old, the older generation oh, such where, as where were those the octopuses inc yeah oh. okay okay no that, that there was a genuine lull there um, I, there, I, I think there were a couple that. Yeah, but the fact that we're really struggling. But I think it, the first thing, just to go from the very top, this, this, yeah. this isn't a, an attack, I promise. It is important to look at the director whose name I haven't written down, as per. Andrew Stanton. But he did direct the first one. He did direct A Bug's Life, and he did direct probably the best Pixar film in Wally. So he's he's got clout. Three very, very good for what they do. I think you missed out John Carter. And no, no. <laughs> <laughs> have a, have a, I must admit I haven't got around to that one, though I have heard actually <laughs> good things, despite it being a bit of a financial failure. Yeah. And that was one of the uh, key topics of discussion on his Wikipedia. Has he done this just to go on his resume? I've had this flop, and now I need to get, prove that I'm still well, profitable. Currently on 800 billion worldwide, I think. 800 million. 800 billion. Let's get that right. Yeah. 800 million on, with a budget of 200 million. So he's already quadrupled it in the first two weeks. <laughs> but but is that that does that require anything? Does that re- is that just living off the wealth and the nostalgia from the first film? No, I think As to in- some extent it is. It is definitely living off or riding on the coattails of, of Nemo. But these sorts of films always do, don't they? I, I think. There is a point, though, and there are various examples of it, particularly within the franchise world, where if it is a terrible sequel, word of mouth spreads very quickly, and it won't. It will still be profitable because they always they always are, but it won't do as well as Dory has done. So it shows that this film is okay. It's perfectly adequate for, in my opinion, for what it's trying to do, for what it for what it is. It's not as good as Nemo. I think Finding Nemo for me is one of my favourite animated films um, because it's just so. Witty, clever, emotional. It's just I just think it's a it's a far, far, far superior film to to Dory. But Dory does hit a few of the spots that it's exactly trying to. And I think it's important that you do acknowledge Nemo and 
you agree that it's a good sequel in the way that it doesn't rely on Nemo so much, but there are nods throughout. Ooh, I would see that. I, I think I'm going down a different path. I strongly, strongly disagree with that. I think this is just we will rehash, we'll recycle the bits that people might remember from a film that was released 13 years ago. I think any anything that did crop up was either Dory remembering things or just little nods like the turtles coming back. It was it was a minute long. Yeah, for, I think I, I I tend to agree with Robbie on this one. I think for me, I didn't think they. To an extent, they recycled some of the stuff. Yeah. But for me, as a, as a generalisation, they didn't recycle it as much as I thought they would. I thought yeah. typically these films, they really just channel and and almost you know steal verbatim jokes, little nuances, whatever it may well be from the previous film, almost to say, oh well, that was a success last time, so we're going to use exactly the same formula. They didn't use that this time, other than Dory, which is I suppose the fundamental issue here. Dory, oh, who's the goodness, ma- <laughs> goodness Dory, me, Dory's who, you know, his her main character point is that she forgets things and they really do don't they that. hammer that home yeah I know that's, that's the issue I think they don't recycle that much but then they completely overcompensate in a negative way by unbelievably rehashing and recycling her material and and the annoying thing is that was probably the most annoying thing about the first film it was yeah, to the point yeah, where that's, it, it yeah. did a lot it did a lot and it got oh it's grinding on me it's grinding on me but the film ended it was like okay that was just about the right amount as but a sub character yeah. not centre stage and this is the issue and this is the issue they have now they've put her into the main spotlight it becomes even more annoying and it, it shines a light that's the issue it shines a light on how annoying it would have been absolutely and they just they just didn't add for me they just didn't have any ideas they went well what have we got it's, it is, she's just a, almost a gimmick and then they go oh, okay we'll give it some some soul we'll, um, we'll make uh, do some flashbacks where her eyes are bigger than her body and her voice is literally uh, a balloon and everyone's everyone will melt and when the very predictable I mean it is the same plot as mm. the first one but with it's uh, the thing that I do like is that it's this it's more contained and it's they've not gone okay we've got to get from one end of the ocean to the other they've gone we're going to get from just one end of this part complex this, thing, yeah. to the other and that in itself getting everyone synced up and on the same page is going to be difficult enough but I think <sighs> just on that note sorry to, to interrupt because it for the majority it is more contained however there is a bit where an octopus drives a van yeah and, and that's it and did annoy this me is one of my problems. really annoy me what I liked about Nemo obviously it's not realistic but it's all fathomable and it's all it, it's understandable what they're going on this one it does what all sequels annoyingly do it goes right we're going to turn this up a notch <laughs> yeah. and we're going to go to a whole new level to the point where at this point an octopus and Dory in a jar of some kind a wa- filled with a water. water bottle yeah, yeah. Like but, a, but they're driving a van and I'm thinking what I mean come on what is going on that now? said it happens in Toy Story 2 and I still love that film all the toys drive a car then toys aren't even a living entity yes but you can get on on board with that because right from the get go you understand that the toys are a living entity right okay. in that film this they are fish they're supposed to be in the sea yeah they talk I mean that, that again they are a talking entity all of a sudden I think that's what Pixar have done best where you see the real world is going on but you're following these toys and none of the real people know and that's part of the enjoyment yeah. I mean, we've all grown up with Pixar being like oh it's that kind of idea that as a kid you think this this might actually happen mm. these fish are going they are having these conversations these toys are doing X, Y, Z but I totally agree they crossed a, a boundary for me with the uh, with the driving although it did then lead to probably the only, a, a, a quite enjoyable moment was uh, was it 
Louis Armstrong. The slow motion. Slow motion. Yeah. We, don't, we don't want to spoil the only good bit of the film, but it was um, it was a nice little moment. And let's talk about the positives because I mean we we you know we've got to talk about some of the positives. The music is fantastic. The sound the uh, the original score <laughs> is quite superb, and the set. Des- I don't know, it sounds silly, the set design. When that you first see in the centre uh, where Dory thinks, her old home, the uh, the ecosystem, and, it, and you can obviously tell it's an exhibit and everyone's swimming round, and you, you just sort of, the camera's just pulling back. And it look, the animation is top, top, it, top animation draw. Animation always amazes me in the way that they, they start off with nothing. And okay, <laughs> fine, they did in this film because of Finding Nemo, mm. but... All of the sound, all of the animation—it's it's from scratch, and you do get a great sense of this sort of underwater world. Yeah, yeah. It's still Pixar still show their class, even in a film that isn't as outstanding as Nemo. It still shows the production values that they can, they can, they can bring. And for me, you know, you said about you know, let's try and focus on some positives because there were positives for me. It's not an absolute disaster, which. <laughs> Sequels often can. I'm not sure be. that's a positive. Well, it's damning with fake praise, isn't it? Really, but, but so I, I think, think it, I think it is a complete disaster. Really? Complete. Oh, wow, okay. I mean, even uh, but again, was... but again, it's not for us. No, yeah, even that. Yeah, laughing at the autistic seal with the monobrow and the goofy face. And How I, do I you never, know it's autistic. Did you look at him bounding <laughs> over? It's a seal. It's <laughs> him bounding over. Anthropomorphism. It, I think it was just. It just really rubbed me up the wrong way because. Wall, but the, the, in in a way, and they say, "Oh, it's a kids' film." In a way that his previous films hadn't. His previous film, I was all over them. There was for me, there was nothing here for adults. Absolutely zero. There was nothing other than doughy-eyed nostalgia and going, "Oh, Nemo was good, wasn't it?" Like you think of Bugs Life, and it had the story of the Magnificent Seven, and it had Seven Sam, had stuff to it. Wally, ah, oh, this is the dystopian future. If we carry on, it had something that the kids definitely wouldn't have got. Here there was all of one or two minor, minor scenes. I, w- I was surprised how little, not only how unfunny it was, but how little attempt at being funny it was. Or certainly that's the way I perceived it. I didn't. There weren't there weren't that many times where I thought, "Oh, that's missed the mark. That's not they, they've misjudged that." That's there was no funny. mark. No, exactly. There was never. <laughs> it didn't feel like, and maybe because I was an adult, uh, as you've just articulated there, I, I never felt, "Oh, that that didn't quite work." And they're trying to make me laugh. It just didn't even feel like they they even tried to. Um, so for me, it, it, we've already said it's not as good as Nemo. It, it, it's not as funny as Nemo. I'm not sure if it tries to be as funny as Nemo. But when I think about Idris Elba's The Seal, I, li- I like those little moments. And that's exactly what was so funny about Nemo. There was these little bits like the little crabs underwater guy. Um, the crabs um, were good. Guarding the, the pipeline and then the seagulls and, and little things like that. that They weren't major characters. They just had little funny mannerisms or little funny lines and cameos. And that was fine. That was funny. Cutting the grass. Yeah. They, didn't, they just didn't have really have that in this and it and it just it just reeked of a sequel really i i still thought yeah. i still think it's perfectly okay because it, it didn't offend me but it yeah it, it's just such a it's such a sequel it, it reeked of a yeah. sequel in the way that it didn't bring anything new to the table for me could it have stood alone do you think in take what, out nemo. yeah take out finding nemo not just nemo the character take out yeah, finding nemo yeah but could it, it have, but that's but only it's because it's such a good idea because I, I i certainly I can't get Nemo out of my head, so I, <laughs> I definitely compare this unfavorably to it. But I think this film could probably could have stood alone, but it's only an okay film for me because I've got the prior knowledge of the character of Nemo, Marlon, what they've been through. What did you think of the? Um, did you see them as cameos or as an all-star cast? Cameos. 
Yeah. But I think the voices are great because I'm terrible. And I was like, I was listening to the voice other than the returning cast. I was like, I didn't realise it was Idris Elba. I was waiting at the end and then went, I thought they just got generic Cockney one in. <laughs> and then said, they've, oh, it's, of course, it's DJ Driz. That's amazing. Again, he probably had one or two lines, Idris Elba, and, mm. and the seal itself. But for me, that was probably my favourite bit of the film, yeah. which is a, you know, again, is a, is a damnation itself, really, to say that that's the thing I, I, I enjoyed the most. And what was the thing about the weird duck with the red eyes, who, the, who then sinks <laughs> oh, up, yeah. who then sinks up, and is this sort of like you see these red bloodshot-eyed sort of pigeons walking around town centres, and yeah. here we've got the duck form. You, oh, that quite that had a bit of edge to it. I was like, this is completely crazy <laughs> but I don't know what's going on here or what they're, what they're trying to say with this and next to the uh, autistic seal pops in I'm not sure, quite sure I mean it's all very mad and he wasn't too much of a, an interesting character the uh, the main squid the main he, squid he was just a bit it was obvious what he was trying to get at and of course it's the classic and he's turned around and goes actually I do care about you not just your tag but there was no real arc there, there was no yeah. Aside from learn, he learned he knew that he could actually drive a van. I think, <laughs> and the less said about that, the better. Um, but I think that's, that's a good point, though, because what we haven't touched upon is, and what I always, what I usually, almost exclusively um, like about the sort of animation is, a lot of the time they are able to touch upon social commentary the way that normal um, live action films can't. And I know we've we've talked about Inside Out, but for me, loved that film. Nemo again, enjoyed that. Toy Story, great. They've all had that social commentary. They've always had always had something that you can relate to, and you can it reflects what your life either is or, or was. Whereas this, a lo- there's been a lot of comment about how it's about accepting others with with a disability. So I know we obviously talked a couple of weeks ago about um, sort of impairment and stuff. But because she, you know she's forgetful, and because of dementia and Alzheimer's and things like that, people have, for me shoehorned that into the conversation about this film because for me I'm not really sure it's yeah. necessarily fit I can understand why they would because you would naturally want to want to say that because it's a, it's a nice thing but for me I, I, I didn't get that vibe no. throughout it and that's that's one of the things I usually really enjoy and appreciate about an animated film Final thoughts? Three stars next Yeah for me I'd go three because it's just as I, as I think I've said it's it's perfectly adequate it doesn't necessarily offend me um, it's I can't help but sort of have that nostalgia about how good Nemo was we've already said about probably the most annoying thing about Nemo was how annoying Dory's character was becoming and they've just carried it on here and, and she is quite frustrating but then there are some funny moments particularly old DJ Driss DJ Driss um, yeah I'd have to give it a two just because the sheer amount of but again it's not it's not made for me but the amount of squirming I was doing just I don't often squirm but it was just yeah there was just quite a lot of downtime in between looking at the pretty scenery and listening to the nice sounds but yeah just a bit of a disappointment for me overall you have no idea how much I'm looking forward to this next one just because I want I really want you to try and explain the plot of evolution there is no plot evolution evolution by Lucille Hadzahalahovic Oh, wow. Hadzahalahovic. You sounded confident in saying it, so I'm going to assume that that's correct. His second film. First film, Innocence, made 12 years ago. Uh, It's taken a long time to get this passion project off the ground. So set in some sort of, we assume, France, but it it doesn't really matter. A sort of seaside town. Uh, There's a collection of 
what we presume are mothers and they're just about to hit puberty sort of 12 13 year old boys but that's all there is there's no grown-up men there's no young women and they all seem to spend a lot of time in the water um, before being systematically and very peculiarly shifted off up the up the coast to a, a sort of hospital facility where something or some sort of process something awaits them and we do follow one boy who kind of goes through pretty much what we imagine the same journey as all the others go through but can't really say too much on your on your point about it being from the boy's perspective do we see anything that's not there is a a quite early almost occult sort of scene where there's the mothers are sort of getting together um and I th- that's it, it at night time when we assume we don't see the boy leave but other than that it's pretty much all through I mean no, nothing that stands out and nothing that explained anything more than what you get from the boy's perspective no. you are learning as the boy is as the boy learns and it just a little bit of information peels back and you're sort of there going what does that mean does that count for anything how will that impact the end and yeah you just sort of left doing a lot of wondering yeah I mean I think for me and we've, we've all touched upon it it asks so many more questions than it did answer and I think the ending without saying too much more went some way to providing closure but then in in a completely perverse way actually asked more questions again because of the, the way the ending is presented and, and what it potentially represents I think made I didn't really know how to react. At that I, point. I felt like I, by the end, I did understand what it was trying to represent, but there wasn't. I didn't understand all the symbolism that went in so much. Yeah, I mean, I've got. Quite frankly, I've got Does, no idea. Do we just get, I, do we just get closure of his story, but then we're still completely oblivious as to what that ending image means and what the heck was going on? Is that exactly? That, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Exactly, I mean, yeah. the 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 whole starfish symbolism throughout the whole film yeah. made sense in the end because they aren't, aren't they like what's, I don't even know the word when starfish can like they are male and female when they can give birth uh, to their own young didn't know that no yeah uh, I just okay. got that light which looked a bit like a starfish didn't it yeah. oh but the starfish is in it throughout like, yeah yeah, yeah, like yeah. but I, I didn't didn't know about that whole male female that's right he right. attacks a starfish with a rock quite early on doesn't mm-hmm. he brutal Brutal. Yeah, that was but yeah, no, I think you've put it perfectly. You, I kind of get closure to his story, well, to an extent, but then have no idea what the broader. <laughs> and it's not even closure, though, is it? And I, I, I'm the, I was the one that said closure, so that's that's my own fault for saying that. But it's <laughs> it's not closure. It's closure to perhaps our imagination about if we didn't have the resolution, or the somewhat resolution, somewhat of a resolution that the end of the film gave us. We, we would have just been imagining all sorts of, of what on earth the context is behind what we're watching here. The ending gave us, they, it didn't really give us the, the closure, but it gave us an indication of it was more, the it, environment. Because there's a lot going on so and, and, we, and we, have, we have yeah. no idea what, I'd say for the first sort of, uh, sort of maybe pretty much hour, 50 minutes, you're sort of, there's, there's just a lot of images and sounds and alluding red, red herring, stuff's going on. And then it does get to a kind of an escape sort of getaway situation. And in the last act, you do get a resolution, resolution to that. But anyway, we shouldn't, I think we're, I mean, it's fun to try and decipher, to decipher and try and interpret it as we are. But this, yeah, this is not a film that you 
sit down and sort of go through the plot and go, oh, we went on that journey with that character and this character development no. was this. This is just yeah. pure, to, to quote Robbie from a few weeks ago, this is just a sensory, emotive experience that prods and provokes you. Very uh, The closest thing I can think of to this was Jonathan Glazier's Under the Skin. Just again, even though that had a bit more of an obvious, there was a bit more of a narrative there, and but it just kind of washes over you and you just sort of, you're seeing these images and the sounds, which I thought the soundtrack was fright had was frightfully similar. It just creates and hits a note, whereas a lot of films, a lot of horror films, try so desperate to create this note and sustain it, create this dread. Something like Rosemary's Baby is one of the best examples of it, but so many films can't do it, and it just sustains until you're literally left. I was almost gasping for our way through all, all the credits, just head was just jigsaw pieces on the floor just trying to go what the hell I don't know but I was nearly shaking did you did you guys enjoy the way it left you feeling or were you too I, uh, were I, you asking questions too I many questions the whole dread thing I, I need something to hold on to and with this film there, there wasn't really anything was like there? a relatable like a, yeah. an anchor in the story yeah, or, a, or a plot which I am gonna understand by the end of it I just felt like I was watching Outside looking in? Yeah, and but also, I mean, I was watching a piece of art unfold in front of me. That's and they say every frame of painting, <laughs> visually, the, the kind of the bleak and vivid, the colour space of just <laughs> beige, blacks and a bit of blue every now and again with, with the soup. The use of shadows was outstanding. It was like a Renaissance painting. <laughs> it was. You're looking in the shadow. You're waiting. You've almost, for minutes, you want answers. You, you're waiting for the generic paranormal activity you want the monster something to jump out and to be oh I can put that down to I know I under, I, I comprehend that but it, you're just staring into shadow it's beautiful but in such a dark way I, I can't really explain it you just have to you have to see it it's an experience yeah you it's, could, oh, it's unlike anything I've seen you before you would see it in the Tate Modern on loop yes and you would, I think it's inter- I can't wait to see what we're going to what we're going to give this all but for me, I don't I, think we've given that away yet. No, <laughs> no. I, I don't mind that I didn't understand what was going on because, you know, that, that happens and there isn't necessarily a, a coherent plot because it's, sometimes that's the vibe it's going for. That's the whole point of, a, of some sort of disorienting atmosphere. I can appreciate that. But for me, I didn't understand what it, what it meant either. It didn't mean anything to me. I didn't get any symbolism, any reflection, representation, whatever it may well be. So I can absolutely appreciate aesthetically and visually it's is stimulating in, in in many many ways but for me it did nothing more than that i we've talked before about what i think about a film and what i feel about a film and for me i felt absolutely nothing about this film mm. I, I have no idea what went on um part of it felt like a brill cream advert where you know you talk about the escape it, it almost felt like that weird <laughs> where you've got this cult just this you know two by two by two and all of a sudden there's oh, the, that other like people North that Korean break the mold. Yeah. yeah yeah and and for me there was elements of of never let me go as well albeit a I won't say too much more about that because that's very specific to the, the thing that you referenced earlier about you know what's going on with these with these kids and which again is is never fully explained. They've maybe, almost succumbed to yeah. their, their destiny or their. And maybe, maybe that's that's my fault that I'm looking for something that this film never intended to give. See, sim- again with symbolism, I don't. I Robbie, I think you make of it what you will. I would. I would. I if I was trying to in suggest, I think I would be being personally pretentious because I didn't even pick up on that I don't think there is I don't think there is it's it's just some films try and show you a character arc some films try and show you a subtext or which is what we're craving for in Dory some sort of symbolism or something going on under the surface 
this was just a case of put something in the pit of your stomach and just kind of make you feel something. Yeah. And if you didn't, if at the end you didn't feel anything but ambivalence due to it just being not having anything to anchor onto, I can totally, totally get that. And I don't want to be the guys like, oh, these guys. <laughs> like look at staring at a beautiful piece of art that's worth a million dollars and going, are you getting this? Are you not yeah. feeling? Because it's it's not like that. It's not as sim- It's not as black and white. No, as I that, think but it's. it's- Different different films hit different people, don't they? Yeah. If, if you don't, it's not about understanding a film at all. It's just what you get and feel from it. Yeah. There are very few under the skin did it similarly, and it and there is a lot of sort of references to sort of early Cronenberg body horror. There are bits of that, but other than that, there's literally nothing you can really compare it to. And I think it is so frightfully original, and there aren't that many comparisons because it's very rare that you get a film that you go, it's. <laughs> Whether you love it or hate it, it's gone off. She's gone off and done her own thing. I mean, she is married to Gaspar Noé of Enter the Void and Irreversible Fame, which probably adds something to it. Just <laughs> they're, they're both going to do make the films that they want to do. I think that's why it took twelve years to get together. But yeah, it's just it's, I just can't think of any. Is there anything any references or anything that you'd? <laughs> just, it's just not, It's just in the, a dark corner somewhere. Where it'll probably sit where no, very few people will, unfortunately will get to see it but they, yeah I was in a very small screening room I think there was only sort of 10 other people and it was just good grief just walked out <laughs> silence just scores scores on the doors it's another three from me Jeff um, I, I like what it did uh, it is surrealist and I get that but it just didn't it didn't hit me in the way in the way that it should but I mean it was absolutely stunning <laughs> I'll completely own up to that <laughs> two uh, yeah two from me um, I think it's absolutely you know agree with some of the points you made it, it is original aesthetics wise it is stunning in places I don't think I feel quite as passionate about that as, as you do Robbie but yeah it's, it's it's certainly got some some nice shots particularly around the, the water which I suppose was the theme but but I just felt completely indifferent about it. I didn't react to it as strongly as perhaps you two did, and and maybe I I should have done. But then also it's funny you mentioned earlier. You know, people have have got to see this, or you know, different people will react different ways. I think last week I talked about Neon Demon, which I didn't necessarily respond to the way that other people have done. But I said people should see this film because even if you love it or you hate it, there's something you will get out of this film that you won't get from other films. For me, this film, I would not recommend it to anyone. And I don't mean that in a really horrible way. I mean, you will not understand what is going on. And and I don't understand. I I would be doing them a disservice if I said, go and see this film. In fact, the reason I got this DVD was because one of my mates bought it, turned it off after half an hour and said, right, you can have this DVD. (laughs) It's like The Ring. Yeah. So I I, I really, I, I don't see... A situation where I would recommend this film um, to anyone, and therefore I can't possibly give it an average mark. I have to give it a two. I, I was touching upon a one um, when I first watched it, but then you know, bearing a few things in mind and, and thinking a little bit more objectively about it, I think yeah, it's it's only fair to give it a two. Your comments about Neon Demon are completely spot on, in the sense of that felt. Although I wasn't like this is his best work. It felt like a unique work and it stood alone and it did things differently to anything I've ever seen. And this again, I just can't, just thought it was flawless. And the way that I was thinking about it for, for I'm still, I mean, I think it's probably sort of about six weeks ago. And yeah, still, I think it will be in and around the favourite films at the end of the year. Oh, wow, okay. I think 
it's got to be the perfect five for me. Better or worse than Under the Skin? Uh, I would say not quite as good. Both five-star films, but Under the Skin has that feeling of dread throughout, but it has it has a layer to it that this hasn't got, but I think Under the Skin is one of the very best films ever made. And does your friend... Is that DVD for sale? So. <laughs> Which leads us on to our final selection this week, which I believe was from James with the vintage. Which was uh, Waterworld. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. <laughs> Starring Big Kev, Big Kevin Costner. And, and um, his go-go gadget boat. Don't forget that <laughs> <laughs> <Bad> boy. <laughs> um, so, yes. Somehow I don't think James is going to take this as personally. So that's all right. So Waterworld. So set in a, in a, a futuristic sort of dystopian world where the polar ice caps have, have melted, I think I'm right in saying. There's quite a cool representation at the start of how mm-hmm. they The Universal logo yeah. merges straight directly from, and it just starts rotating. And you go, that the logo shouldn't be doing it like that. Yeah. Fills up with water and then we go in. Superb. Yeah. I'm sure we'll comment about how that was probably the best part of the <laughs> film, in it, surely. Just like idiocracy. Um, but, but essentially, yeah, the, so the resources are scarce, as you can imagine, in, in, in what is a dystopian world. Um, it does that we, doesn't it it does the common trope yeah. of oh this there's not a lot of this thing so therefore it's the most valuable thing what? but to the audience it's something so common well yeah, yeah. and, and the, the most prized <laughs> asset that he, that he had was dirt was was, yeah. was was land essentially because unsurprisingly Waterworld there is that was quite an interesting when that came up I was like oh of course that's the idea, quite interesting the idea yeah. behind this film is fantastic right bear with me there is a film <laughs> there was a film there absolutely because it is a really cool idea now there are quite obvious comparisons you can make here with sort of Mad Max and that kind of dystopian. But it's it's not just Chan- comparisons. It's it's, it's the it's the first Mad Max film. I haven't seen the first. The first I've two. only seen the no, most recent a, one. It's second, especially down to a T, because the first one at least has that human story. This is just people dressed like cyberpunks, yeah, Man just with shooting no each other for whether it's oil or gasoline or. Whatever. Well, in, in Mad Clean Max, water. the latest one, it's water, isn't it? Oh, it's is almost it? the reverse because he's uh, got he's got the release. They don't have isn't water; it? they need water. But I think and they this don't is have the dirt, issue. So they need we dirt. are comparing, and it's very unfair to be comparing these two films because one is clearly significantly better than the other. You know, but I, I don't think it is. It is. Um, it's not unfair. They are the same, pretty much the same film, just slightly reversed in the, the way. The screenwriter is because it was so. I think. Mad Max 2 was 81 and this was 95 mm. so it's that's, that's enough time for over almost half a, gen, a generation for yeah. half a generation for it to sort of settle in and let that permeate and go ah oh, we haven't seen Mad Max 3 was ages ago let's just do another one on a boat on, on some water yeah I mean that's probably the best explanation you're going to get of this film really because it's to go back to the Mad Max comparison it does not e- execute what it's trying to do anywhere near as good as, as Mad Max does and it's as I think we've all said it's such a for me it's such a fascinating idea I would love to see this I know you know I listen to a few other podcasts and they say you know what film would you like to see redone and I'm thinking this film now I would be intrigued if you've got a decent director behind it uh, and decent and got actors, a cost in the back <laughs> Um, I would love to see what someone else could do with this film because there is there is a good film but and a in new special effects uh, makeup and effects department just to clarify does Kevin Costner actually only have one ear in real life <laughs> <laughs> because I thought that was oh cut cut no your, your elvish ear mate it slipped off again we can see your, your flapping gills everywhere mate keep that in 
That's killer, that is. What was that? Right, let's get back on track. Let's get back <laughs> Can on track. Because we? we, we're going we're gonna to go off on quite a few tangents at this rate. <laughs> there are a few well, well-famed um, production issues that <clears throat> the, this film was beset with, I think. Costner almost died, which which may well have oh, done, really? apparently what? so. Yeah, uh, wow. I mean, it probably would have done the film, and, <clears throat> you know, improved it if anything. But uh, and and the budget sort of almost uh, uh, doubled. I think it went up sort of seventy five percent to the point where it became at the time the most expensive film uh, of all time. I think it was one hundred and seventy five million. Yeah. I think in total, which uh, is crazy. Apparently, the score was rejected, and they had to redo that because it was too ethnic. So, and that was that critic was from Costner as well, yeah. I believe. Well, apparently, Cost, and this is one of the other issues. Apparently, um, Costner pretty much had autonomy towards the end of it, to the point where it sounds a little similar to sort of how American History X apparently worked out, where they bowed down to whatever Ed Norton Ed Norton wanted. It sounds like similar happened here with with, with Costner basically getting his own way. Um, apparently, Joss Whedon, who is obviously now a lot more famous than perhaps he was back then, apparently he came in to do sort of six weeks of rewrites of which he's described it as six weeks of hell. So so basically there were some issues behind the scenes. I think it's often compared to Cutthroat Island in terms of these two films that have had disastrous box offices, but, but correlation with that is that they've had absolutely disastrous productions, both of which predominantly filmed on water. And I think because it was set in the 90s when filming on water was nowhere near as easy as, and as sort of fair game as it is now, I think it just beset budget, time, quality, everything about it just made, they completely underestimated the complications that that, that would bring. So <laughs> all of that culminated in, in what was, to, to put it kindly, a pretty shambolic film. I mean, there are some positives and I will come on to them later. But shall I think we, we, we probably emphasize. all, yeah, should we get well, out the, the negatives? I almost don't think you can. It, there was one moment of CGI and you're like, oh, it's gone. There was a, a three <laughs> second, a little snapper and you're like, what was that? I want to see more of that. That looked that looked like fun. And then we just see them eating some eating some flubber. There's a really what feels like should be a really cool opening scene. That sort of classic introduction where instead of slowly, you know, getting you into the characters and, and, and what's gonna happen, it goes right, bam, we're gonna we're gonna really hit you hard and, and show you our characters and show you the plot <clears throat> via this, you know, really in, in captivating and um engaging opening scene. And it and it doesn't work. It doesn't it doesn't work anywhere near as, or it doesn't turn out to be as cool and as enthralling as perhaps I think they thought it was going to, or as as, as they thought they wanted to. There are some really cool to, to mix the negative with the positive. There are some really cool action scenes in this. The CGI is is pretty abysmal in most cases. There is one point where three jet skis collide and they just combust. They don't even they don't, they don't even near collide. each other. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> and they, they they manage to sort of triangulate into each other and and it literally <laughs> just just they just explode. Because yeah. that's what that. you do. That's what happens. It's like was, it's a year ten football match, isn't it? Yeah. Headless chickens. It's all run into the ball yeah. and just see what happens. And they just has any thought gone into this? I, I, I don't know. I, I genuinely I would have loved to have been a fly in the wall of of some of the production meetings in this and some of the dailies when yeah, they were watching going, oh, this back. This is, this is looking <laughs> oh, great, Wait boys. until the world sees this. Yeah. I don't... I, I, there, I mean, there are some elements of this which are which are downright comical. But Den- Dennis, Dennis Hopper Dennis has a good... T- <laughs> and, of, I mean, you've, it's often insinuated like a, in like a, films like The Outsiders and kind of uh, Rumblefish, like really good Coppola coming-of-age films it's like yeah we've got the bad guys there they're always smoking cigarettes we'll give them a cool name but we won't call actually ever call our tough gang the smokers mm. whereas here they've gone <laughs> why not it does it actually didn't go by that slowly for me 
I've actually seen I, I, these days I won't turn off a film but here I, I, I never felt like I needed to turn it off no, I, no, no. I, it was it was it ambled on yeah exactly sometimes you get an impression of what you believe the rest of a film mm. will be like and it either shocks you with a big new character a twist and you go wow that's not the film I expected this was the film I expected all the way through and it but we've already laughed a little bit and, and made some little comical jabs at, at, at this film so is it what does it fall into the category that Sharknado does and where it's so bad it's, so bad it's, it's good. good no no no, no. And, and and for the same reason Sharknado also shouldn't be included in that just sorry that's just a, a separate gripe because that is a an organic no sorry an inorganic manufactured cult film mm. they've gone right what yeah, do we yeah, need yeah, yeah. But you watch something like The Room and you go you literally couldn't write this you couldn't try and manufacture The Room It's or Troll 2 it's just too obscure and too terrible but there's just none of that it just goes on and they're a little bit and yeah the ear thing the mutant that's never discussed has he got another tribe why is that left ambiguous you'd think in a two hour twenty epic those sort of things you would want to kind of elaborate for the audience give them a bone give them okay so he's this and that's why he's alone and all of his kind of died or why why is he a mutant why is I mean we, I'm talking I'm having just loved a film that has literally no plot but this is this should have a lot more uh, exposition shouldn't it but that, I think Definitely. to me that's why it, it kind of felt like a western you've got this guy who doesn't speak a lot come to a town man with no name man with no name <laughs> you know sort of saves the day a little bit there's big shootouts going on throughout but even in westerns you don't really get a lot of background with the main character interesting but then but they're not mutants and it builds intrigue around that character Mm. with this I don't know why but I never cared about there is so little characterisation in this film and such poor level of acting in this film (laughs) that I just couldn't care less about any of the characters there's one point so there's this really cheesy love story that they develop at one point their prize asset a bit like Midnight Special they're almost delivering and children's men they're delivering this or they're trying to protect this prize asset Um, and then at one point that prize asset is stolen and they like wake up all groggy and they just start getting it on forgetting that the prize asset that they're trying to protect has gone and been captured and they just start making out and you're thinking guys the whole point is that you're supposed to be trying to help and save this the universe as well as this one individual but you're just content to throw a love story in here which just comes doesn't come out of the blue because you know it's coming the whole time but it's so unnecessary but it is monkeys and typewriters it is kids and going right kids what do we want to see so we want uh, jet skis we want explosions we want big ship we want a baddie we want a goodie we want uh, a love scene we want a little bit of mild peril and they've just got it mild peril swoosh yeah. it all in what rating was it was it, it can't have been a 15 no like a, tw- like a 12 over here I guess probably yeah P- PG now it's be a PG yeah but yeah it's just oh, who is it for who was it for at the time the amount of things as well and this always annoys me with these cuts I'm not sure if it's that deus ex machina thing that you mentioned but the amount of times just things would miraculously happen at the most convenient time a bit where a character right at the beginning flies away quite frankly um, and then just miraculously <laughs> can't yeah, stop the hot air um, balloon yeah just, just just comes back into the storyline and the plot and the scene at the most convenient time <laughs> thinking what 
I just ah the mad genius who discovers uh, his character was just terrible and the the massive plot twist where they discover what the secret symbol means after all these years because the little girl climbs into his balloon upside down Mm -hmm. he figures it out no you've just seen it for that you've finally realised what it is no one has ever kind of no one's ever yeah just tilted yeah. their head slightly and gone actually if we go all the this way this is the most difficult puzzle of humankind <laughs> oh, it will save us all if only we could turn this child upside there's no I think we there's no point discussing this any further I don't I, 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 bemusement I think is something we all share and just it's just odd oh it's so confused it's so poor it's just a damp squib but they will never I'm giving it a one star I don't, oh. but I, don't, I really can't think of any one star that I've enjoyed so much in the, not it's so good it's bad but as in usually a one star film like Dorig was a two for me because I was squirming because of how there was just nothing there for me I didn't get I got very little enjoyment and there were quite long prolonged periods of that here I didn't I wasn't I didn't squirm for a second I just sort of just Go, oh, it's so pathetic I don't want to kick it while it's down and I can't say it was the worst it's far from being the worst viewing experience I've ever had compared to something like X-Men where it actually goes out its way to agitate you and has this waste squandered talent and you go oh, at least I had that going for it this has got nothing going it from the get go it's just a, just a one out of five isn't it really I can't think of anything just, just put it down <laughs> just take it to the vet take Costner and his gammy ear to the vet I think your your explanation before that that last little gambit there I think was is why I'm going to give it too because there were some enjoyable bits to it. There's actually quite a cool siege part of, of this film, and there were I'm really clutching straws, but there were some quite cool action scenes. That, there is there is so much wrong with this film, but as you said, there were elements that were enjoyable. And for two and a half, two, yeah, best part of two and a half hours, it didn't go by particularly slowly. Yeah, for exactly the same reason as James, I can only give it two stars. Which leads us on to Straight Jack, episode 13. Oh, unlucky for some. Especially people who aren't very good against the odds. Da, 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 da. Ba, 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 ba. Uh, and the theme for, for, for this week will be survival against a particular entity, be it a, another human or an animal of some kind. So, so the film this week, this? there aren't many films with that theme out this week, but... Um, it will be the the Shallows, the latest film starring Blake Lively, which leads on to the post two thousand. Oh, which is me. Um, I've decided to go for bending the rules slightly because as many survival oh, films there are, there's like there's the road into the wild I was going to go for, but none of these are against yeah, a beast, more against the elements, which is probably a theme we'll come back to. But sort of against human, but humans, but also against a virus. Only for 28 days later. Ooh. I also don't know if my film is that. I just Googled Wikipedia survival films and it was in there. Um, and it's a bit of a classic that I haven't, well, I presume to be quite a good film that I haven't mm. seen, which is the original Planet of the Apes from the 60s. Have any of you seen it? No. Well, there we go. It will yeah. be. And, it, and I did check it. It's under two hours. Everyone says it's it's fantastic. It's got, it's got It's very, very well regarded. And I think we all know the ending.